So today I want your affections to be stirred for God. You know, many people see religion as something you have to do in order to be in favor with God. So talking about the birth of Jesus Christ, getting together for Christmas, that can become a religious act that we do once or twice a year. And actually, even though we think it's helping us, it actually is a dead practice. Because many times we don't even have a relationship with the one we come to celebrate. Doing good things and doing traditions are good when they're in line with the gospel. And your desires are for God and things you're doing are flowing out of your desire for God. See, what we're really not trying to do in church is tell you what not to do and what to do. Some people think the Bible is just a book of rules, right? You tell them, what's the Bible? It's a book of rules. No. It's a book about Jesus. It's a book from beginning to end that is proclaiming a Messiah who would come who was God, who would save, seek and save that which was lost and would establish a kingdom that would last forever. It's about a person. The rules and regulation comes in because there's parameters for that relationship with that person. Any healthy relationships has parameters. Unhealthy relationship does not have parameters. You have been around those relationships? There's no boundaries. And somebody's suffering. The rules and regulations are so we can have joy and happiness and our desire for God can be fulfilled as we walk according to his will because we're first accepted. It's not. I want to keep hitting the gospel because it's so important. Religion tells you, keep doing good, then you'll find favor with God. You've got to do five more good things. Say five more, you know what, and you're going to be right with God. The gospel says you are right with God. Because God was born into human history as a baby, lived an absolutely holy, sinless life while being tempted the way you and me are, and went to the cross to be the sacrificial land for the atonement for all the sins of the world so that you and me could be saved. And he rose from the grave just to make sure it is finished. What God really is after is your heart and your desires. Because when your desires are lined up, and your desire to love God and worship God and obey God is greater than your desire to run after sinful lust and idolatry, that's when you overcome, not when you try hard enough. Hard enough. I'm using this example a preacher told me, and it actually happened to one of my friends, and I don't think he listened, so he won't know, and they're not in here. He was in this relationship in high school with this girl. And things went a little too far in a sinful way. All right? You know where I'm going, D-Bay. He was home alone at his girlfriend's house. Okay? Things got a little too heated, a little sinful, if you know what I'm talking about. Guess what happened? Daddy came home. All right? You know what happens? So he had a certain kind of sinful desire going on because it was outside the parameters of marriage. Right? So he's in one desire. You know what? When daddy came home and opened that door, his desire to live was so much more. When our desire to live, your desires trump other desires. When your desire to love God is where it should be because you're beholding the gospel, not because you're trying to be good enough, because you're beholding the gospel, seeing what Jesus did. When that desire is so hot and so heavy and so glorious, your desire to do other sinful lusts will vanish. 
Do you guys hear what I'm preaching? And it's not, oh man, let me stop doing this. It's let me behold the gospel. Let me see what Jesus did. Let me see how much God loves me and how miraculous and majestic he is. And when we get caught up with that, all of a sudden we're overcoming sin. All of a sudden we're resisting temptation. All of a sudden we're happy. Do you guys hear what I'm preaching right now? Because that's what the birth of Christ is. We're not coming in here to hear a religious story. We're coming here to hear a real God who was really born, who really laid down his life so we could have a real relationship that changes everything with the Almighty God. That's what's happening here today. So I don't want us just think, man, this is a cool story. I want to say this is a real story. And I can see God and his love and who he is because of this story, because he was born into human history, because he took on flesh, he was in the throne. He's always existed. He is God. Jesus is God. But he takes on flesh to become like us, to do what we could not do. Do you guys hear how good that gospel is? How many people are thankful for that here today? Wow. If one thing life has taught me is that I can never be good enough to find favor with God. Aren't we constantly reminded of that? I'm going to be good this week. No, I'm not. But when Jesus comes in, when the gospel becomes alive, all of a sudden he starts changing our life, changing our affection, changing our emotions. And I pray the birth of Christ does this for you today. I pray that your faith is built and you are um, just stirred for God. All right, if you could turn to Luke 2, 1 through 7. And just so you guys know in the future, there are free Bibles there. You can take them and use them now. You can take them home. Only thing I don't care about you stealing is a Bible. You guys hear what I'm preaching? So if you ever want a Bible, that's fine. If you do it on your phones, no worries. <coughs> Luke 2, 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went out to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house in the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. So I want to talk first about the history of Bethlehem. Because I want you guys to see how the whole Bible flows in the story of Jesus. Because it's about Jesus. Because if we just go there for rules and regulations and cool stories, that's not going to help if we don't see. Jesus is, you know, he brings it all together. You know, he brings every moment. So Bethlehem, the first time we hear about Bethlehem is when Rachel died, who was Joseph's mother. Everyone know the story of Joseph? who was Jacob's wife, when she died giving birth to Benjamin, who was Joseph's brother, they brought her to Bethlehem and they buried her at the gate of Bethlehem. Still to this day, if you go to Bethlehem, the tomb of Rachel will be there. There's a strong, rich history there. Then you everyone know the story of Naomi and Ruth when she's given to um, Boaz as the kinsman redeemer? That's where they settled in that area, right? That's where that all happened. Then Ruth had Jesse. And where was David when Samuel went to anoint a new king that had the heart after God? Jesse was in Bethlehem. So the prophet Samuel went to Bethlehem. He said, man, I think God has called one of your sons to be the king because he has a heart after God. Jesse says, I got just the guys for you. He brings up 
all his, David's older brother said, this got to be the guy. He's good looking. He's got the character. He got the shoulders. This is the brother right here. Move along. Move along. Move along. Finds the young shepherd boy, David, who is not perfect, but he has a heart after God. And Samuel anoints David to be the king of Israel in Bethlehem. It's called the city of David. David becomes the best purely human, arguably the greatest king in Israel's history. He brings victory. He unites the kingdoms. He does all that awesome stuff. Now you have this lineage in Bethlehem going on. And it's important to see that God's people aren't perfect. So when I say David had a heart after God and this lineage in Bethlehem, David was an adulterer. David was a murderer. Yet God's grace was extended to him and changed his life. Do you see where religion goes out the window there? See where religion goes out the window? When you say, man, David needed Jesus. Who had a heart after God who was not the king. He needed Jesus. So then you see a prophecy in Micah. And I want to read this so you guys see the continuity here because this is vital. In Micah 5, 2, he's a prophet in the Old Testament. This is what he prophesies over Bethlehem. He says, but for as you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, Tath, Athah, I'm sorry, Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So you see they're prophesying over this. This is how God gets down. He chooses a little town no one knows about. He chooses his son to be a carpenter. He's always doing things in the most humble way possible. He doesn't care about like what we care about and, you know, people seeing or rich. He doesn't care about all the stuff. He cares about humility and showing the character and nature of God. Bethlehem wasn't even big enough to be named among the clans of Judah. They didn't even bother. They said, this place don't even matter. Yet it will be the birthplace of the Son of God. He said, Bethlehem, you're going to be blessed. One's going to come forth from you who will be the ruler who is from eternity. Be God's own son. So Jesus basically put Bethlehem on the map. You guys see what I'm saying? Everyone talks about LeBron's the king. He put Akron, Ohio on the map. Come on, guys. He can throw a ball in a hoop. I cheer. But it has nothing. You know, LeBron's put Akron on the map. Jesus has put Bethlehem really on the map. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? No one knew about Bethlehem until Jesus was born there. But it's significance. It's a holy place that God chose for his son to be born because it was the city of David, the city where Jesus would be born. So we have a little history there. But the significance goes even deeper. I want you guys to see this because I've never been so excited to preach about the birth of Jesus because I saw stuff I never saw before. Sometimes you'll get into the scriptures and stuff will come alive. Like, I've been in church for a long time, and I started seeing stuff that I didn't know, and you realize how God is so into the details. Like it wasn't by chance in Bethlehem. It wasn't they tired, let's find this spot. It was like, it's going to be Bethlehem before I even create the world. Like that's part of the plan. God's that sovereign that every little detail was taken care of. And we need to start seeing that in our own lives, but especially in the story of Jesus. Bethlehem, and this is the important point I want you guys to hear right now. It's vital. What was going on in Bethlehem? Well, they were unique shepherds. They were priestly shepherds. Okay? These priestly shepherds took care of lambs. And you know what the function of these lambs was? were? They would be sacrificed at the temple of Jerusalem as sacrificial lambs. It was the only place where these lambs were kept. Okay? They would be sacrificed and watched over so they didn't get a blemish. 
So these lambs, these priestly shepherds would guard these lambs with their lives, you know? And there was a place, there was a place called the Tower of the Flock, and the lower function of there, during lambing season, that's where the lambs would be born in the lower part of that tower. Do you know what they do when those lambs came out to say they were certified for sacrifice in the temple? They wrap them in swaddling clothes. They wrap them in a cloth to say they're certified. They're without blemish. They're going to be sacrificed for the um, sins of Israel. That has great significance, doesn't it, this story, doesn't it? You know, there's many different theories here. I'm not saying he was born in the Tower of the Flock. It, was, it says he was born in an animal stable. You know, we see this Hallmark card. You know, Jesus wasn't trying to sell cards. Does anyone know that when he was born? Like, you know, Joseph's in pink. Come on, make the brother a little more masculine in the manger scene. But it isn't like this perfect Hallmark card. He's born in this animal stable. And he's born the way, like lambs were born, they were wrapped in swaddling clothes, and, and they were certified to be sacrificed at the temple. What's really happened with Jesus? He's born for one purpose and one purpose only, to save the world, to save us. He dies so that he can be sacrificed for the sins of the world. He's called the Lamb of God. Do you guys see the significance of Bethlehem? Every detail, everything, he was born with that mission in mind. I just want you to see some more. There's a play called Migdal Ader. And you guys know I'm from Boston, so I ain't pronouncing these Hebrew words, right? But it was in Micah, there's another prophecy that says this. So you guys see how it all connects. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, the former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Migdal Ader was called the tower of the flock. That's where the priests would do many things, but that's where the lambs would be birthed. It's even prophesied that Jesus would be born in, the, in these boundaries of Bethlehem to sacrifice his life for the world. Does that excite you at all that it all came together a little bit? Or am I just the pastor and a little excited about all these little details? I was so excited about that because it's not just the story. This is not mythology that we come to to feel better about life. This is a real God putting his son with real details. You know, paying attention to everything for God's glory so we can see the gospel. You see the atonement there. You see the fact that Jesus would become the sacrificial lamb there. This should stir our affections for God because he would be the final sacrifice. Now, why was he born in a manger? You know, how many people would chose an animal stable for the Son of God to be born in? Or would have you souped it up a little bit? Like, once again, let's get away from that Hallmark card. Who's been down to the Stoneham Zoo to the petting park? Those animals stink. I don't even want to be there. They're going, they're dropping stuff around there. They're laying in it. My kids are petting it. I'm like, get me out of here. I'm, I got the hand sanitizer. You know, like, I don't know. Like, have you been around an animal stable? This is where Jesus is born. The Son of God. Do you think he cares about the accolades of man? No. He's born to identify with man. That's unbelievable. You think Mary's all rested? You see Mary in these pictures on the cards? Have you been in a delivery room? Have you rode your wife to the hospital on a horse? And is she praising you at the finish and just putting on cloaks? Get ready for the picture, Doc. That was a filthy scene, yet it was so holy. This was a big trip. You know, I, when I woke up and Natalie, when, the, when her water broke, I had a heart attack, then I had to listen to things. 
It's stressful enough was jumping in my explorer and go to the hospital. But imagine us women out there who have babies who are going to have babies. Your water broken, you got to jump on a horse. Because you got to register and you got to, you know, you're on the move. This is the kind of stuff that's going on, Mary. They can't find a place in the inn. No, if anyone, you should make space, make space for the Son of God, right? There's no room in the inn. They got to find an animal stable, but it's all in God's plan. And he's born into this humility. See, we can't fully grasp that because God is so holy, so above us. So There's no evil in him. He's so clean, so pure. But he comes to, down to our filth. He comes down to our level. And he's born in an animal stable for you and for me. Even that's an amazing act. We think the cross me, but all these things along the way, what a journey. Really, you came down here with filthy me, with filthy us in a filthy animal stable to save the world so we could see God and see the nature of God, see the love of God and be saved? That's unbelievable. The incarnation should absolutely blow your mind. Most religious systems are systems of belief. They won't accept Jesus because they say God wouldn't do that. He wouldn't come down here, sweat, bleed, go to bath. Like, he wouldn't do these things. He's too holy for that. You even say that, they say, no way. Yet God not only came to do all those things, he came to be absolutely ridiculed and mocked and murdered. That should blow our mind. That should help us to understand our God. You don't have a God who can't sympathize with you. You don't have a God that's saying, come up here. He's saying, I came down here. You know, there was, I don't know if you've heard David Platt. He's a, a good, influential preacher. And he was sending a bunch of Buddhist monks. And he sent with these Buddhist monks on, on, a, um, on a mission trip. And they started talking about God. And the idea of these Buddhist monks were, <coughs> they said, listen, we all got different paths and different religious systems. It's like this. If you've got a mountain, God's at the top of the mountain. We each take a different path up to that mountain to get to God. Know what David Platt said? He says, no, I think you're missing something crucial here. We don't go up to God. God came down to us. Do you guys hear me? That's the gospel. See, we like to lift ourselves up and think, I can find, I'll speculate, and I'll find God. You ain't finding nothing. God came down to us to die, to bleed for us, to identify with us, to save us. You got here, that's the gospel. Not we're glorified, he's glorified. That's powerful. That's deep. Now you get the gospel, and it changes your whole life. Anyone watch Undercover um, Boss? Anyone catch that show once in a while? You know, there was this part where <coughs> this guy at Subway, he was high up. He wasn't the CEO, but he was the, the store developer. So he's way up there on the board of directors. Subway's the biggest food um, place, or whatever you want to call it, food corporation in the country. And... um so he was a bigwig, and he decided that he was going to go subways, and he was going to dress as a sandwich artist. I love that they call it sandwich artist. You know, that, that makes you feel better when you're throwing that bologna on that sub. You know what I mean? Just making art, dog. They call the sandwich artist. So this, he comes up, and he, um, he's dressed like it, you know, and basically he's just he's trying to train to be a sandwich artist. And he's getting ridiculed and persecuted. They got him on the timer. You don't realize these people in Subway are on a timer. They're going to make your $5 foot line at a certain amount of time. And it's important to the corporation. And he ran into so many people who were passionate and so many stories of people's lives. And what, what hit me the most wasn't just that he decided to give up his huge house for a time and 
his comfort and, you know, go through long, hard days at Subway, what hit me the most was he really wanted to know the people in Subway. He really cared about them. That's what really hit me. Like, he wanted to know these. He sat down with one girl who, she was 19 years old. She was working hard to get herself through college, had a great work ethic. And she, he said, she was being rough on him. Like, he asked the question. She said, but my pay grade. Like, she wasn't playing around. They sat down at this table and found out that her mother had just left her, you know, left her and her and her dad had a fend for themselves. And what he realized was he said, my mother left me too. And so he felt a connection with her. And then it went to a, another woman who was just, she loved being at Subway. And that's what we got to understand. God's not looking at Subway and the CEO or something. He's looking at how much we're working to the glory of God. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? You know, this lady loved Subway. She was there 19 years, said, I love it. I look, they want to become a manager. I said, no, I love the people too much. You know, God's not looking at it the way we look at it. And this woman's love for people and love for a job influenced them in amazing ways and just kept going and that kind of thing. But the amazing thing that he cared and he wanted to know the people in Subway. How much more does God come and care about us and knowing us and love us? That's what amazes me that he wanted to know us. It should amaze us every day that God cares about knowing us. We don't have an agnostic God who is some absentee landlord who made the earth and just took off. We have a personal God who loves each and every one of us, loves his people, loves the world, and gave his son to die for it. Please hear this. It's because this is what you long for deep down. It's a relationship with God and a relationship with others. We want to know people and be known. But most importantly, we need to be known by God. And Jesus came down to know us. Real God, real place, giving them life for real sin so we can have a real relationship. I want us to keep hearing that. I was watching a video of, a, um, there was an officer in Lowell this week, and he had the gospel in this, because this is the gospel. Not the story, but the analogy of the story. He starts pulling over people for minor traffic violations. Did anyone see this video? It's a great, it's a great analogy of the gospel. And people, you know when you get pulled over, just the whole world stops, right? You're pulling over the belt buckle. I made a covenant. I'm wearing my seatbelt now. I'm a dad and a husband. So he's pulling up people over, and they're getting scared. They have that pulled over look on their face, like, what officer? I'm just out here loving people, you know? And so the officer says, you know, starts talking. They don't know if they're still going to get a ticket because they have violated the law. And he starts just casually talking about what their kids want for Christmas and all these kind of things. And they're saying things like they're saying, oh, they want an Xbox. And one single guy who was in his 20s said, man, I want a flat screen TV. Me and my buddies just smashed it watching the football game. <laughs> like, all these things are coming up. And he's on his radio calling people who are right next to him in the store. And they're buying the presents on the spot and running them over the car. So the cop's going back to get the ticket, but he's coming back with like a flat screen TV. So the people are like, uh, hold on, I'm, I deserve a ticket. I, I broke the law. This is what I'm waiting for. He's saying, there you go. Take the TV. And their affections would change. They're hugging cops instead of saying bad things when they went, go home about the ticket. They're just so excited. They say, well, this is the nicest thing. I can't believe you did this for me. That's the gospel. We don't deserve. What we deserve is punishment. Do you guys hear what I'm preaching here? We all deserve punishment. We deserve the wrath of God. We deserve hell. But instead of that, Jesus comes and gives us everything, starting with himself in heaven. That's the trade-off. That's the great exchange that blows everyone's mind in the gospel. That's what makes sinners weep. That's what makes sinners change. That's what makes sinners exalt the Almighty God. When you realize that you should have got this, 
But you got that. We got Jesus born into this world to save us. Let the story resonate with you. Some of us here believe. Some of us don't. For those of us who don't, please, I plead with you. Seek God. Look at this gospel carefully. See that God came to atone for our sins, that he laid down his life for us. And see the nature and the love of God. Because so many times we see bad things and we define God by the bad things that happen because we're in a sinful world with sinners, right? How can there be a God because he did this and this happens? We're in a broken world where we choose to sin. Bad things happen. There's real evil out there. We can't pretend that there's not. And I know it's tough sometimes, guys. I do know it's tough. I do. But see who God is and the fact that he was born into human history and laid down his life. And we should have got punishment, but we got salvation. We got liberation. And our lives are changed forever. Share it with somebody. How many people had a gospel conversation this last week because the preacher told you to? I did. I preached to myself half the time. I needed the gospel conversation. I said, you better tell me some gospel right now. No, but me and my wife really did. We said, we got to talk about the gospel because I ain't seeing good things right now. You know, I have a tendency. We all have a tendency to see the worst. Do we not? Do we all have a tendency to see the evil and see the suffering and even to see our own depravity? I want you to see all those things taken care of and washed away by the blood of Jesus because that's what lasts for all eternity. This life is passing away, right? Don't waste your life on anything else but glorifying the Almighty God. Looking at this story, looking at the God-man who came to die for us, and allow your affections to be stirred more than anything else that is stirred for in your life. Let's pray.